This is part two of a series we started last week, and it is called All Things New, All Things New. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, peace thieves, people and things and situations that steal your peace. Uh, I was reading earlier about um, a guy from Louisiana. He was sitting down with his buddy. They were fishing. And, uh, and one of them was completely out of sorts. To say that he lost his peace was an understatement. He looked at his friend and he goes, you know, I feel like the world is going to come to an end soon. And, uh, and, and he goes, and when it does, I want to be in Louisiana when the world comes to an end. Because everything in Louisiana is 20 years behind the rest of the world. The second service thought it was funnier. Um, anyway, moving right along. Uh, I want to unpack that, so let me do it. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, it reads like this. For I am about to do something new. This is God speaking. I'm going to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I am doing something new. It's so exciting. And, and when he does something new, you're not filled with stress and anxiety while he's doing it. Now, if you and I try to do something new, on our own, a lot of times it's very stressful. But this is what he says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Being rich, uh, you could be rich with an awesome family. You could be rich with a lot of money. You could be rich in happiness, rich with health. But whatever you are rich in, God says, I'm not going to allow you to be down and depressed while you're receiving these blessings. There's some people that are rich and they jump off of buildings and, and commit suicide because they have sorrow. They are down. And the Lord says this, look, you're going to have peace when I bless you. But there are four things that steal peace. They just rip it right out of your life. And, and they all start with C. Hopefully you'll remember it. The first one is comparison. When we begin to compare our life with someone else's life, when we compare our world with someone else's world, uh, Mark Twain said it like this. He said, comparison is the death of joy. You can be feeling really good about your life, and then you see someone else and you compare yourself to them, and all of a sudden you don't feel good anymore. But the thing about comparison is this, is that we compare our life to someone else's partial reality. In other words, we're only seeing what they let us see. We don't see their full picture. And if you did see their full life, you probably would be a lot happier with your own. Because people have a tendency to show the good side and hide the crazy. Are you with me? 
Uh, I, I just, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever driven down a road in a real nice neighborhood and look at houses and like, oh my goodness, these houses are beautiful. Oh my goodness, these people must have the most incredible life in the world. I, I, I know a guy who his job is to turn the power off when people don't pay their electric bill. And he said that he turns the power off on houses most of the time in high-end neighborhoods. Most of the time when he's turning the power off, it's in a high-end neighborhood. It's, he's turning rich people's power off. And the reality is, is that they look like they're rich, but they can't pay their bills. So when you drive by the house and go, that is a beautiful house. Don't be surprised if it's dark on the inside. You may be going, whoa, that is beautiful. But it, from the outside, it looks beautiful. On the inside, it's freezing cold because they can't turn on the heat. They can't turn the lights on. What's on the outside is not necessarily what's going on on the inside. That's why comparison is such an evil thing. Anytime you compare with somebody, you compare your worst to their best because you can't see their worst. You only see their best. If you could see their worst, it would change. Let me say this to all the men in the room. Don't ever, 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 if you're married, look at someone else's wife and think, oh man, she's so much more beautiful than my wife. First of all, in the Ten Commandments, it says don't covet another man's wife. This is Frankie's Ten Commandments. It's not in the Bible. Are you ready? The prettier they are, the crazier they get. Trust me on that. I've done marriage counseling before where they come in and they sit down and the wife looks like she's a model and then she ends up being bat crazy. <laughs> I'm just telling you, thank God for your wife and she's beautiful and she's lovely. I'm telling you, some of these women are nuts. They're nuts. They're crazy. They're bat crazy. Wouldn't it be nice if every time you met somebody, they told you the truth about them right away? <laughs> like when you meet somebody for the first time, don't ever forget what I'm about to say. When you meet somebody for the first time, you are not meeting them. You're meeting their representative. <laughs> they represent the real them. They show up, hello, how are you? I'm Don Juan DeMarco, the greatest lover that has ever lived. The truth of the matter is the guy's incredibly insecure. He's a slob. He doesn't have a job, and he's in a lot of debt. Hello, how are you? I'm the greatest lover. No, you're not. You're an insecure bum. I wish people had a business card that they would hand it to us the minute you meet them. Hello, how are you? My name is Greg. Hey, you are a bum, insecure, and you still live with your mom. <laughs> don't you wish that would be the case? But we don't ever find out the real until it's much later in the relationship. Oftentimes we compare ourselves 
with people that are not even thinking about us. What I mean by that is sometimes you can compare yourself to your brother. You compare, compare yourself to your best friend. Somebody you grew up with and you look at them and you're like, man, they're so much further along in life than I am. Um, you look at your brother-in-law. They're so much further along in life or they're doing so much better. We have no idea what's happening in their world. And I want to tell you what's happening in your world is far better than what's happening in most people's world. You say, how do you know? You're, you're, you, you, you don't even know what's happening in my world. That's true. But I also know what's happening in most people's world, and it's crazy. It's crazy. So don't let comparison come in. It will steal your peace. Number two is comparison is number one. Number two is complaining. Anytime you begin complaining, it is going to steal your peace right away. You know, a, a life that has a life full of complaining is a person who dies disappointed. Just constantly, constantly complaining. You know, there's spirits that we can't see. Whenever you're feeling good about your life and all of a sudden you start comparing yourself to someone else, that's a spirit coming into your car, a spirit coming into your house. When you're in your house and, and, and all of a sudden you start complaining about all the things that you don't have or start complaining about all the things that are happening to you, that's a spirit coming into your house. You know, you want to be able to back up and recognize this complaint. You want to recognize the comparison. You want to recognize it straight away. You know, there's a thought that I was thinking about earlier. That complaining is a result of poor vision. Think about that. If you knew the vision that God had for you, if you knew what he had in store for you, if you knew it, if you could open up a book and go to chapter 17 and read what he has in store for you, you wouldn't complain about the situation that you're in right now. It's a lack of vision. It's complaining. Number three is simply this, criticizing. Not only does comparison steal our faith, not only does complaining steal our faith and our joy, but criticizing. You know, somebody who criticizes others reveals more about themselves. It's interesting. If you're ever around a person who criticizes other people, don't ever let that person close to you. Don't ever let them that person close to you because if they're criticizing somebody else, your turn is coming. Don't ever let that person close to you. Here's the thing that I've learned about criticism, and it also goes hand in hand with compliments. We can never let compliments go to our head, and we can never let criticism get to our heart. See, you're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you think you are. You're somewhere right in the middle. You know, uh, uh, my favorite preacher is a guy by the name of T.D. Jakes. My favorite part of him is that he's in Dallas, so you can't go to his church. That's my favorite part. You can't go visit him. Um, but he said something one time I'll never forget. He said he was walking down the hall and somebody came up to him and said, Bishop, you are the greatest preacher ever. And he said, thank you very much. 
He, didn't, he just walked just a little bit further down the hall and somebody came up to him and said, Bishop, what you said was, was rubbish. It was wrong. It's not even biblical. And he just said, okay, well, thank you very much. And kept on walking. The next person came up to him in the same hallway. In the same hallway just a few moments later. Bishop, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And then when he sold this story, he said, you know, I kept walking when the person gave me a compliment. The next person was criticizing me, I just keep on walking. The next person gives me a compliment, I just keep on walking. It's got to be, the compliments have to be water off a duck's back. Criticism has to be water off a duck's back. You just got to keep on walking. You got to stay laser focused on what God has called you to do. You got to stay laser focused because if you're not focused, somebody will come and derail you. They will shake you. They, absolutely, put your hands together for that. Absolutely. They will shake you and derail you. You know, anytime something comes up, it'll, it'll, it'll worry you. I had somebody say to me yesterday that uh, somebody doesn't go to our church anymore, somebody that's been going to our church for a long time. And I got so discouraged and I got so down. It, it ruined my day for like two or three hours. And then I started thinking about it later on. And it's so interesting because the enemy will come in and he'll say things like, you know, that person, I'll just call him John. John left your church. John left your church. But, you know, the enemy doesn't want me thinking about how on Monday morning I write letters to all the new people that came to church on Sunday. He doesn't let me think about this big stack of letters that I'm writing. It just makes me think about the one person that was disappointed in me. And, you know, I back up and I start thinking about that the things that are mine, nobody can take away. So I don't need to worry about it. The people that come into your life, if they're supposed to be in your life, nothing can take them out of your life. If they're not supposed to be in your life, nothing you do can keep them in your life. God is the great director. He's the orchestrator. He is the conductor. And he leads traffic in and out of your life. He brings people in. He brings people out. He brings people in. He brings people out. And if you try to hang on to somebody that he's bringing out, you're just going to frustrate yourself. That person is going. You might as well just see you later. Bye-bye. Bye, Felicia. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, bye. Just say bye, bye, bye. And then start looking around. I'm like, hey, hey. Just, just get, just, just know that God is the great orchestrator. Your best friend when you're 10 wasn't your best friend when you were 17. Not your best friend when you're 27. He moves people in. He moves people out. He moves people in. He directs seasons. Some seasons are summer seasons. Some, some seasons are winter seasons. But at the end of the day, you just begin to understand that God is the great orchestrator. And sometimes criticism will come. Sometimes compliments will come. But at the end of the day, you don't let either one bring you peace or take your peace. Amen. Amen. That's the third C. That'll steal your peace. So far, we've talked about comparison. We've talked about complaining. We've talked about criticizing. I want to talk about competition now. Competition will steal your peace. Competing will steal your peace. You know, competing with people, trying to outdo somebody else, be better than them. You know, uh, I, I want to say 
um, that when you start competing, when we spend our life competing with people who are not even thinking about us, we will find that we never feel like what we are doing is good enough. We're never, we're never there. We're never there. We're always trying to, what we're doing is not good enough. It's not good enough. We'll be doing better if I can just make $10,000 more. Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine if I can just. Everything will be fine when. Everything will be fine if. And everything will be fine. And here's the deal. We don't have yesterday anymore. And we don't have tomorrow yet. The only thing we have is right now, and right now things are going really good. You're sitting in the house of God with a heater while it's 32 degrees out there. Come on, somebody. It is sweet. And all of these things, all of these seas, complaining, comparing, you know, uh, competition. You know, I have a very competitive family. And, and uh, every Thanksgiving, they come over the house and we play Monopoly. We need to stop. <laughs> we need to stop Monopoly because we're, st we're, we're to the point now where we're insulting each other during the game. I've got a basketball goal in my backyard and my brother-in-law, um, deep down inside, uh, he, he, he thinks he's better than me in basketball. And now I'm about to be 40 years old and I'm acting like I'm nine. And I'm like, you're not better than me. And, and we go out there and we go play and go bang around like I'm nine years old. Such a big deal. And let me ask myself, what's the big deal if he thinks he's better than me or not? Am I really losing anything? Has my ego gotten that big that I can't lose at Monopoly and I'm hiding money underneath the board? <laughs> I'm making deals with people. I stick 500s in my back pocket just in case there's an emergency. I'm out there playing basketball like I'm, what if somebody is, thinks that they're better and if somebody is better, does it, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's not let competitiveness rip some our peace away. You know, the enemy wants to take our peace so bad. The reason why he wants to take our peace and get us off kilter is so that we will spend our whole life trying to be successful at something that doesn't matter. See, God has called you to be a disciple. A disciple is somebody who pursues Jesus and tells other people about Jesus. Pursues Jesus, tells other people about Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And, and Jesus had 12 apostles, but he had hundreds of disciples that followed him around everywhere. Hundreds. Just people that followed him around. He had to have had hundreds because, you know, he didn't have email. They didn't have TV. How did he feed 5,000 people two fish and five loaves? How do you get the word out? You got hundreds of people following you all the time. When he said, go to Jerusalem and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Twelve people didn't go over there. Eleven people didn't go over there. 120 people went up there. He had disciples following him around everywhere. In the year 2018, he still has disciples. And it's you. You are his disciples. You are the ones that pursue him. And you are the ones that are to talk about him. 
And if you are successful at everything else except for that, your life was not lived to its fullest capacity. And when somebody decides to be a disciple and stay laser focused on it, beautiful things happen. And somebody in our church last year decided to open up her home and, uh, and lead a life group. Something cool happened. Uh, I want to share it with you. Why don't you take a look at this? Hi, I'm Angie Baybell. I decided to do a life group with a lot of reluctance. I was in a life group and I loved my life group. I love going and having the coffee with the little pod thing and putting it in the machine and getting my coffee. And it was just a wonderful experience. And then after doing it a couple of seasons, I was asked to lead one and it really wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to be fed and I wanted to be in my little group and be happy with, with my ladies. And so the thought of branching off and leaving them and starting another one with people I don't know really wasn't as appealing to me. But one day in church, Pastor Frankie was asking us to lead a life group and he said something that just triggered something with me. He said, try leading a life group and inviting people who you live life with. They don't have to go to this church. And he said it so emphatically, and something just clicked with me. And I sat there saying, I've raised four kids here. I know people, maybe some that I haven't renewed ties with or you know something like that, but I decided I was gonna invite them. And I made a commitment right then and there that that's what I was gonna do. So we're moving along in our life group, having a wonderful time. And one day I get a phone call. Someone is calling me, telling me that my neighbor's son passed away in college. And as I'm hearing this, I go and look out of the window and I see all these cars out in front of their house and discover that the funeral is taking place right then while I'm talking to her on the phone. So the first instinct is to run over there and, and, and console these people. But guess what? I've lived in that house for 17 years, and for 17 years, we've never spoken. I really didn't even know what they looked like, just from a distance. And so I didn't do it, but I felt bad that I didn't do it. And I prayed and I said, God, use this as an opportunity for your light to shine in their lives. I never saw them go to church on Sunday or anything like that. And I was kind of suspect about their walk with God. But I just said, God, use me, use this situation and help me to touch their lives for you. So he did that very quickly. On Sunday, my husband and I were going to church and it was a cold, wet, rainy day. And I'm driving and I pull out of my driveway and as I'm passing their house, I look over and I see the dad in the driveway, in the rain, sobbing and heaving, washing his son's, his deceased son's truck. And you know, you have this moment where you go, what's wrong with this picture? It was raining and he's washing his truck. And so I pulled the car in the driveway. I looked over at my husband who was looking out the other window. He didn't even see this. And I'm screaming, get out of the car, get out of the car. And he's like, what's going on? And he looks and he sees the same picture I see. So we both leap out of the car, run up to this man, 
embrace him, and we wept with him. You know, the Bible says, Romans 12, 15 says that, be happy with people that are happy, weep with those that weep. And that's all I could do at that moment is do that. His wife was in the house, and I am so grateful that at that moment, I had life group to offer. And I told him about my life group and how I'd like to reach out to his wife. And he said that he thought that she would appreciate something like that and he would tell her. And I left it as, let her know I'll be reaching out to her. So we left him and we went on and I prayed and asked God to give me an opportunity bring that around really special where I can talk to her and invite her to this life group. Well, he did. He brought it around another time shortly after that, and I'm going to go run my errands and go to the grocery store. So I get in the car, and as I pull out and I'm leaving the neighborhood, I see her, and she's walking her deceased son's dog. She's about 100 yards ahead of me, and she's walking away from me. I pull the car over, put it in park, and I just prayed. And I said, God, okay, this is it. You've brought it around. I'm going to talk to her. I want you to give me the words. Whatever you give me to say, I'm going to say. I'm just going to pull up there and I'm going to say what you want me to say. And then I said, God, it's been 17 years. I've never talked to this lady. Will you go ahead and soften her heart to receive me? And I actually sat there waiting for Holy Spirit to go on down there. And I said, 1 100, 2 100, 3 100 counting and when I felt like he had got down there good then I pulled on up close to her and when I rolled down the window she was kind of very stoic and she let me give my condolences and she said thank you and I said oh so then I went in and I started telling her about this life group and we meet on Wednesdays 9:30. I didn't ask her to come but I invited her and I said I would love for you to come and this is the response I got Well, in my mind, I'm going, that's not the response I want. And my mind is just firing in all these different directions. But then I bring it back around again. And I bring up life group again. And I again tell her the time and the day, everything. This is what I got. Thank you. I'm just done, okay? So I politely roll away and I'm talking to God. I'm saying, listen. I done took and told. I don't know if you've heard that expression, but I took time and I told her what you told me to say. And I didn't get much, so your work is cut out for you because I did what I've got to do and I'm on my way to H-E-B, I'm done. And I actually put it out of my mind and went on about my way. So the following week at Life Group, the ladies are coming in and it's such an exciting time as they come in. And I look up and there she is walking to my front door. And I opened the door to greet her and she stepped in and she said two things. She said, I've been to one Bible study meeting in my life and I hated it. I'm here today and I'm scared. That was the beginning. And boy, did we just embrace her. She came in and everyone welcomed her and she came back and she came back and she came back to the next season when we did another Bible study. And she, she became a part of our group. And God is just really speaking to me and he's really saying, listen, 
We need to live life with people that are around us and point them towards Jesus. There are all kinds of people that we see, we say hi to, maybe we don't even say hi to, but we see people every day that we're living life with, that we need to be introducing and welcoming them, welcoming them into an environment where they, they know and study and know Jesus more. And so my plea, my challenge is that if you're not in a life group, get in one. If you are in a life group, consider leading one. And if you're leading a life group, take this as an opportunity to try to grow it. Isn't that beautiful? You know, stories like those, I could play a story every single week. I could, there are so many stories that we hear all week long of different people leading life groups. Is it convenient? No, I lead a life group. It is not convenient. And half of the time, it's just something that we do. But every once in a while, somebody will open up their heart and they'll share what's going on. And that's my opportunity as the life group leader. You know, a life group semester is only seven meetings once every other week. I just got done talking about the four things that steal peace. Why did I share it? To equip you? Absolutely. But even more than that, you're a disciple of Christ. You pursue God and you help others. Somebody in your world, some friend of yours, you're going to meet that does not have peace. Peace got stolen. You're going to say, you know, my pastor shared four C's. And you might say, I only remember two of them, so download the app. <laughs> and you're going to share them. Here's the important thing that I want you to hear me say. To run a life group, you only need two people to be considered a group. You plus two. That's it. And the two people that you invite to be in your life group, they may not attend Celebration Church, and that is completely fine. In fact, they may never attend Celebration, and that is completely fine. This is not about Celebration Church. This is about you doing what God has called you to do. This is about you. You are a disciple. So I don't know what I'd say when I was sitting, when I sit down with them. We take care of that for you. We'll send you the notes. All you got to do is read them. Some of you, you can opt to turn your TV to a certain channel and it will live stream a lesson. You just sit there and watch it. It's like Netflix or on your laptop. The point is, is that those are the easy details that we can work out. Whether it's a morning life group, a night life group, a, a, uh, a ladies life group, a couples life group, a, a all those are details where it is. Maybe you want it to be in a house, just not your house. Somebody else wants it to be in their house, but they don't want to lead it. We put you guys together. It's a beautiful thing. The important thing is, is that this is not something that you continually postpone. 
You continually postpone it. I'll do it next time. I'll do it next time. This is one of those things that you make time for because it's what you are called to do. Now, how do you sign up? You download the app, and on the app, you click connect. And then you click life group, and you sign up. You sign up today, not tomorrow. You sign up today because if you wait till tomorrow, then you'll push it till next week. Sign up today. In fact, you can sign up right now. Just open up your cell phone, go to your app store, type in Woodland Celebration, and we will contact you. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please. And if you stand and you're punching, you know, the phone with your fingers, that's totally fine. The rest of us, Let's bow our head and close your eyes just for a moment. Let me ask you to take the remaining moments to just whisper to the Lord and say, what are you trying to tell me today? For some of you, you can feel him pulling your heart and you know that you're not right with the Lord and you need to say, I'm sorry for my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Others of you, the Lord may speak something completely different to your heart. But the worship team is going to sing for a few moments, and there's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you get ready. But let's just spend a few moments in his presence. Can we all just raise both hands as a sign of surrender? The worship team is going to sing, and let's just spend some time in his presence. Can we do that?